Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Ah, or do science. You will meet real people. Good evening, everyone. It's now three o'clock here in the city and the sunny day here across the pond. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England Zone Van Helsink. With me all the way across the Atlantic Ocean on the southern coast of Wales is the most honorable Steve Parsons. Good evening, Ron. I'm glad to see the drugs are working again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, 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 just call me Eddie. What's that all about? What's that? Just call me Eddie. How cool. Yep, another toy for my uh, trinkets. That's a really cool one. Oh, you liked it? Oh, well, you know, anything that's just, you know, a ghost detector that's called Just Call Me Eddie. Yes. Well, the thing I liked about it, it runs on AA batteries and not 9 volts, so that's what sold me. And plus, ah. that, um, the amazing testimonial as well just uh, got me... Uh, uh, you know, all excited. So there you go. It was. It, it does look cool. I, I, hopefully, it will still be around when I get there next fall. Yeah, but it's got lights on it. You know, it makes noise. And blue so. LEDs. Yeah, blue. You know, I, I, I've got too many reds and yellows and you know, greens. Yeah, and you my, know, you know my fetish yeah. for blue LEDs. Yeah. So that, that's, uh, that's uh, going to be cool. I'm excited about it, and I'm, hopefully, I'll have it. Excited. I'm excited. I nearly booked near first today just on the basis of that one advert. Yeah, hopefully I'll have it uh, for my investigation at the uh, Pulpit Rock Tower. So that'll be yeah, that's a cool location. If not, when, at least it, when I'll is have that one? That's this Saturday, hopefully. Oh, cool! That is uh, a really nice place. I was glad you took me there last time. Yeah, and for those who don't know what we're talking about, it's a whole huge secret. concrete uh, tower. That guards the coastline of Rye, New Hampshire. So, uh, doing the first ever investigation there. So that's going to be fun, fun, fun. And in, do you know what? That on a strange uh, touch of synchronicity, I was watching a television documentary last night that featured Rye Beach and Rye Harbour in New Hampshire, uh, because apparently a few years ago they had a mass plague of jellyfish. Yeah, yeah, we have those every so often. Yeah, and. and Usually we, we just add a little bit of peanut butter to the water and we're good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, See, all I, right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. News are coming in right now. Yep. It's, it's official. It's official news. Yep. I now am the proud owner of a Kabbalah game. The Yay! Yes. I have it. I have it. That's so cool. Just went on an eBay, so there you go. Don't tell, don't tell people what it is. Keep it secret. Yep. Only the, only, only the living and the dead shall know the answer. But I, I bet you our guest knows what it is. Um, our guest is one of the most knowledgeable people I have ever met in the world. Well, we'll find out about that if you know. Well, I'm introducing him. I'm okay. introducing him. So, uh, yeah, he's, we've we've uh, we've shared several conference conference platforms over the years, uh, and also um, I think I first noticed him when. Was it a rakish young fop on a television program uh, called The Ghost Hunters with William Woolard? 
standing outside a Priory talking about a monk descending a flight of stairs that weren't there. Um, wow. Yeah. Fighting. Yeah. yeah. But he's also the editor, uh, editor-in-chief of the ASAP uh, magazine, journal. Uh, I'm reluctant to call it a journal because it's actually not, but we'll argue about that in a minute. But he's doing an interesting series of talks, or a talk coming up around Halloween. Uh, He's going to dispose of the poltergeist myth, um, something that we've mentioned previously. So I'm going to welcome our guest tonight, CJ Roman. So he he must know all about that poltergeist (sighs) cage, right? I don't know. The poltergeist cage. Right. No, no, no. Good no, evening, no, CJ. Good Hello. evening, CJ. How are you? Take no notice, take no notice of yeah, the... I was going to say, and he's also famous for his appalling bad jokes, but that could apply to either one of you two, so... Uh. <laughs> so what's the Kabbalah game? Because I really want to know this now, because he said I've spent all of my adult life working as a game designer in the industry, role-playing games, board games, all kinds of games, and I've never come across a Kabbalah game. I know the Kabbalah as in Jewish, you know, ritual, mystical tradition, mm-hmm. linked with the 19th century, uh, Western magical tradition. They took a lot from Moses de Leon's Kabbalah of the 13th century. Yeah, I've read, everybody's tuned out by now. But, yeah, what is the Kabbalah game? I've got to know. Well, well, Steve, why don't you uh, lead him into that, since you were the one that originally discovered it before I did. Well, uh, yeah. In I've, Salem. Yeah. yeah, we were taking a walk through uh, one of the side streets of Salem and discovered an old <laughs> as curiosity. You as you do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, wandered into an old curiosity shop, and there amongst the embalmed body parts and coffins and pictures of naked ladies with legs akimbo was a game from 1967 called Kabbalah, uh, K-A-B-A-L-A, which was some sort of cross between a Ouija board, tarot, and a spinning eye in the middle that that (laughs) presumably... um, It glows in the dark, too. And it glows in the dark, too. Now, unfortunately, we only got to look at the box and the packaging um, briefly while we were in the store, and the guy wanted several hundred dollars for it. But uh, I so I haven't, actually, I haven't actually seen the inside of the box. But uh, when I got back to the UK, I hunted it down on eBay and sent Ron uh, some links for American sites that were selling it. And I believe you've secured as one. I have, I have. So next time we're up, we'll be doing it. it, it you know, it's it's an amazing feat, and I, I got it for considerably less. So I'm really excited. Oh, that's cool, because apparently it's a sort of talking board or Ouija board kind of thing mixed with a game, is it? I mean, uh, I'm, only, I'm only going by what it says on eBay here, but uh, there's a museum yeah, of talking pr- boards pr- has got it. Yeah, pretty much. It, it seems to be some sort of weird crossover between the Ouija board <laughs> and the, the tarot deck. Because Hang on, hang on, I've had a bridge. It has tarot cards in it. If there was ever a contest for the weirdest talking board of all time, Kabbalah, the mysterious game that foretells the future, would win unequivocally. From the, the eerie green... From the eerie green glow-in-the-dark board to the smash dragon impaled by the eye of Zohar, this gives new meaning to the word bizarre. <laughs> new meaning to the word bullshit, but... Um... It sounds brilliant. It sounds really, really good. Well, I would have thought that perhaps the most bizarre version of the Ouija board could could be argued to be the, the one that's on the spring. You know, oh, the no, one that's got to be... That's I'm... pretty weird. I am the, looking the, at a picture the boingy of this version. Thing. I have never seen anything like this. It has an eye in the middle that rotates. That's right. Oh, Ron. Yeah? 
and it yep. glows in the dark, yep. and there's a black yep. marble. Oh, this is awesome. Yeah, well, I, so I, I, I found it in the in a curiosity shop, but the guy wanted too many dollars. Now, I'll be honest, I would have bought it, but the suitcase, I, I, tra- I travel light, and the suitcase was actually smaller than the box. Uh, otherwise, I would have paid the ridiculous amount of money, the 250 I've, bucks that the guy wanted for it. I don't think that's um, a ridiculous amount of money for something which seems to be immensely rare. This is... Uh, it was well, only created in a small number by the sound of things. Well, it can't be that rare because we found several on eBay within a few days yeah. to get back and uh, say Ron's managed to acquire well, one. So It's not even on Board Game Geek, as far as I can see, which is the, the you know, every 1960s board game you can imagine is on oh, there. So there you go. Ron, you've got a rarity. I'm, maybe I'm misspelling it, but or maybe it's just too damn weird. But, I mean, if ever there was a, a, an occult game, that is it. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I can't wait to take it on a ghost hunt, you know what I mean? Because I'm sure the ghosts know how to use this thing, so I mean, <laughs> it should be exciting. Uh, yeah. It's from 1967, the year when Jefferson yeah. Airplane topped the charts in the US, so it's okay by me. The Hey Ashbury scene was going down. It's a hippie kind of game, isn't it? But it's also, more importantly, from the exact same year as far as I know that Scooby-Doo was launched. So this is obviously what go. we're playing. <laughs> In yeah. the mystery machine. Yeah, it is absolutely. the original bit of 1960s Americana, ghost hunting Americana. There you go. And I think, I think CJ's probably still got his flares from that year as well. Oh, no, I've moved on to wearing cords now. Until they, <laughs> until they tear while I'm cycling and I end up... Yeah, anyway, won't talk about my jewellery rig trouser repairs. So, uh, back to ghosts. Hey, I've got a story for you two, and I think you might find it quite interesting. Well, who knows? Uh, I live down in Gloucestershire. And I wandered out of my house in a road called Normal Terrace. I live in a normal street, but it's called Normal Terrace. And today, just going out to collect a parcel from the postman. And there was a guy next door uh, visiting who just turned around and said, are you the ghost hunter? And I said, uh, yeah. Does it show? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, you know, it's probably tattooed on my forehead. And he said, you know about ghosts, don't you? And I said, no, not really, but yeah, I'm the ghost hunter. And he said, well, let me tell you a story. And he said, three nights ago, me and the girlfriend drove up to Bella Snap. Now, do you know what Bella Snap is, Steve? I do, but you better explain it to our, to, uh, our American listeners. I'm not yes. sure how many, how, how old it is. It's about probably three or 4,000 years old. It's a burial mound, maybe only one and a half, two thousand years old, but you know it's quite it's quite old. But it's a burial mound that was um, created in ancient times by some race and uh, or the other. <laughs> it's still there today. I'm tempted to go into a spinal tap routine here, but I'll avoid that. Okay, so this burial mound is up in some woods, and it's about I don't know five miles outside the town where I live. So I mean, you've got plenty of burial mounds all over North America from the yeah, Indian. Yeah, so we, we have them here as well. They're everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. Right. Bloody nuisance when you're out walking. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy and his girlfriend, he must be in his 20s, they drove up there, parked in the woods, and they decided to take a stroll up to the burial mound. And while they were on the burial mound, they said they suddenly became aware of a figure walking across the field towards them. So I said, well, yeah, you know, there's plenty of hikers up there. And they said, well, it was moonlight, but the figure never seemed to approach. He just walked around. And I thought, well, he's probably somebody who's come out to see what's going on. Because <laughs> I'm a cynic. But then they said they saw a bloke on a horse ride towards them and stand and stare at them. Now, that is much more uncommon, up there, even up there, because you're on top of a mountain. Well, it's not much of a mountain. You're a couple of thousand feet above sea level, I think. So it's not the kind of place where you would normally go riding. It's quite rough terrain. So anyway, um, while he was up there, 
uh, he he stood, he stared, and then they said suddenly it wasn't there anymore. The horseman wasn't there anymore. So they freaked out a bit, and that was when it got really weird because they left the burial mound, they walked down through the woods, and they couldn't find their way back to their car. And they came across eventually a house where they can't, there shouldn't be a house according to them. Uh, panicked a bit, tried to get through the garden, decided not to carried on down the slope back to where the road should be and found themselves back at the top of the hill. Now, I cannot think of any physical... I mean, it's clear they were lost and scared and completely thrown. But the bit which puzzles me is they insist they carried on downhill as far as they could. I can't see how on earth they managed to actually, you know, end up back at the top again. So I said to the guy, he said, so what happened to me? Have you ever heard of anything like that? And I thought, well, mm, maybe there are cases where people claim to have walked through landscapes that they subsequently find. Usually, I think, if you go to the place... We had a case in Suffolk of a lady who said she saw a church that couldn't possibly... There was no church there. And we actually found that under the right atmospheric conditions, if you parked your car on the right way and reversed a little bit further down the road, you could see a church across a field, and maybe that's what she saw. So sometimes you can actually find what they saw... But in this case, they were running around in the woods for about an hour in increasing terror, unable to find their way back. And in the end, they suddenly said everything seemed to change and they knew where they were and they found their way out again. Hmm. So, I don't know. Ron, Steve, have you ever come across a case like that? Or Well, well there are. I, there... I have a question, actually. I, uh, like, yeah. yeah. So it might help in me understand it. The house they came across, it wasn't made out of gingerbread, was it? <laughs> Sadly not. No, they, I oh, asked okay. them. Was, okay. there Never mind un- then. was there anything unusual about the house? And they said no. It was a solid. It was a brick house, and there, uh, was, a, there was a wall. And they tried to sort of scale over the wall, and then thought they were going into someone's garden, and they might, you know, disturb dogs and get arrested. Uh, so they, I thought they, I had it solved. I'm sorry. <laughs> no witches. No. No gingerbread witches on this one. No. I was going to give a much more boring answer and say, well, actually, there's a lot of, uh, there are several, as you, as you alluded to, there are several examples of cases where people describe landscapes, uh, buildings, situations that don't exist when, when you revisit the site. Indeed, you know, we were involved in those time slip, what we called the time slip events up in Liverpool, uh, where people were interacting with landscapes, uh, situations, people from the past. And did you um, did you actually? I mean, I I, I know Tom Slemon wrote a lot of very questionable yeah, no, the, stuff. Yeah, questionable ignoring stuff, that, yeah. but yeah, there was there that. was some good there was some really good cases. Well, I heard uh, we we spoke to in excess of a uh, hundred people who'd had. So we were able to speak to first hand witnesses, um, and you know, we, the experience of what was what was interesting is there was an inconsistency about the 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 time slippage. You know, people right. were reporting uh, sort of the early 20th century through to the 1960s, right up to one guy, one guy a, a former police officer, who, who'd actually experienced himself. Uh, he passed himself going out of the shop. Oh, uh, I so, that once. So, <laughs> so the, the, the time frame was interesting. But in terms of, you know, the, the, uh, what, what those two people asked you, um, you know... <laughs> The frostbitten old cynic has to say that the most likely explanation that needs to be eliminated, of course, is that they've got themselves in a a highly anxious, nervous state, thoroughly disorientated themselves and scared themselves hard to death. Uh, But but we do have, you know, on file, there are 
within the archives of the SPR and other organisations, many well-attested cases where people are describing unusual landscapes. And this is uh, where we're going wrong, Steve. Is that me and you now? You know, we're getting on a little bit. We're past our twenties now, aren't we? We are. We're just, we are. We're just we are. into our, you know a little bit beyond that. You speak for yourself. We, I'm well past my twenties. Yeah. If we were a bit younger, we would have just gone up there tonight and had a look. That is what I would have done. You know, if I was twenty years old, I would be up there tonight walking around. And as it was, I said. That's a really weird experience. Well, I'm just going to take my parcel in, have a good day, and catch up with, write it down. And then I hurried off and left him to it. Which... Uh, well, in, in that case, we, we are still somewhat different then. Um, age age yeah. hasn't wearied me to that extent, because if it had been five miles away, I would have taken a drive up tonight and had a look. Well, the problem the is... The temptation that... is too great. I can cycle up there, uh, that being the uh, only... No, the pedals fall off. Yeah, but it pedals. is. It... My pedal will fall off, and it is, you know, 2,000 foot straight up. So, <laughs> yeah. I've done See, it I, once. I, yeah, petrol engines are so much better when it comes to steep hills. Yeah, yeah, it is a really steep hill. So you can see it if you watch the uh, Cheltenham Gold Cup. It's the hill behind that, basically. Oh, yeah, I know the one. I, I, I remember that. I know the, uh, the, the hill you refer to because I've seen the BBC. I've seen Carol and the weather lady at Cheltenham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. if you look beyond the big Paddy Power sign they put on the hill, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere near the summit, you know, up there is where we were or where he was. Yeah. So, but, say, you know, we've got you've got the Dieppe case, of course. I think I think you could pro- I mean, people at this point will probably be thinking also of, um, oh, Versailles. Uh, but that was comprehensively, in my opinion, um Sort of removed from the agenda of time slips uh, by uh, was it way back in the thirties? Uh, just trying to remember the name of the guy that that revisited the landscape and found a very credible explanation for the Versailles case. But the Dieppe case, uh, where the ladies who had holidaying in Dieppe heard the sounds of battle, um, sort of a reenactment, if you like, of the nineteen forty-two raid on Dieppe, and you know. We've got, go all the way back to the 1640s, and you have the famous Battle of Edge Hill being reenacted, and uh, the site visited by the King's commissioners who attested before the Crown uh, that they had seen um, the ghostly battle being reenacted in the air above, yeah. above the battlefield. And in fact, isn't that the only case uh, of. Uh, uh, ghosts that have ever been verified by a royal commission? I believe so, yeah. I mean, actually, I always wondered if it was some kind of just propaganda leaflet put around by one side or the other, because they were so keen on making up stuff in those days as propaganda. You never really know. But, you know, I'm a cynic. Dieppe, I think, is a questionable case. Um, I can't remember if it was G.W. Lambert who looked at the official war record and was trying to work out if they were what they heard tallied with the waves and yes it did you know it tallied with what had happened in 1944 but subsequently somebody wrote to the spr and said yeah but there was a dredger working in the harbor that night it could have just been what they heard was the dredger which you know it's a bit prosaic but you know at the end of the day the romance and mystery maybe is going for us we're getting older maybe the younger generation and maybe the americans who seem to have far more passion are doing better work than we are but, oh, my story, let me tell you. You know you said you, saw, you had a cop who saw himself, yeah? Yeah. All right, let me tell you a true ghost story from CJ then, yeah? Uh, it's 1987, I'm 
in sixth form and I was meant to be going back into school in the afternoon and me and my mate had taken an extended lunch hour, I skipped a lesson, to go into town and eat aniseed balls and hang around as you do when you're 18 years old, yeah? So we're wandering along through the middle of Bury St Edmunds, the town where we live and where I go to school, and thinking about heading back for the afternoon's English class. And what, you headed back? No, we were, we were going to head back for school. Yeah, I never did. <laughs> yeah, well, we'd had an hour off. And as we went down the side of the cathedral in the middle of Bury St Edmunds, there was a crocodile of young school children, you know, as they do, walking along, all wearing their school uniforms. I don't know, do you wear school uniforms in America? Uh, depends on the school. OK, well, maybe, you know... Yeah, traditional kind of school uniform we used to wear. Now, I was 18 at the time, and as I looked across, I kind Still of thought... Yeah, not quite. I thought, oh, I recognise some of those kids. I wonder where I know them from. And then I suddenly realised that they were my year. That it was like, you know, my bunch when I was nine years old. Or maybe ten. And I looked across, and I looked myself straight in the eyes. There was ten-year-old me regarding eighteen-year-old me. Wow. And I looked at myself and I thought, this is totally wrong. Now, by 18, I got really long hair and I was a bit of a hippie. And I was probably wearing a black raincoat despite the heat. And I freaked out. And my mate, Hugh, came around the corner and he tapped me on the shoulder and said, what's up, Chris? Why are you, st- why are you standing there? What, what are you doing? And I turned around to speak to him and said, well, look at this. Can't you see me? And they weren't there anymore. And it just, you know, when he distracted me, I lost sight. So the whole experience lasted a fraction of a second. Wow. I went... So I went back to the uni- I went back to uh, sorry to the school and I went to my English class and I was sitting there and I started to think and I've obviously seen too much Doctor Who because I immediately thought if I saw myself at that age and saw that I turned into a hippie, what would I do? Well, I'd change. I'd make sure that I never became a bloody hippie. So <laughs> I obviously didn't have a very high opinion of myself. So I thought I'm going to start fading out of reality. I'm going to disappear. I'm never going to you know I'm going to change. And it freaked me out. And then I got a really bad headache, and then I got nausea, and then I threw up all over the classroom. Nice. And so they sent me home. And all the way home, I was freaking out. And I can't remember how I got home, but when I got home, I had the most splitting headache I've ever had. It was like somebody was banging a chisel through my skull. And I went to bed, and I was ill for about three days after that. And it turned out it was a migraine. But I'd never had a migraine, so I had no idea at all. And anyway, a couple of years ago, the girlfriend was working on a PhD on spooks, and I was reading a book that she'd bought by Oliver Sacks on hallucinations. And in that, he describes how people who are suffering from attacks of migraines sometimes have a strong impression that they see themselves looking back at themselves. And he gives a technical term for it. I forget what it is. But to me, it's always been a ghost experience. So whether it was related to the migraine, which I strongly suspect it was in some way, or whatever it was, it was a very real and powerful experience to me as a teenager. Anyway, I thought I'd share it. Pretty bit dull, but there you go. Uh, no, it, it, it's something that I, I think, you know, it, people would automatically, um, you know, the old I know what I saw, I know what I heard creeps in a lot, and people will, you know, presume based upon their beliefs um, that, you know, those sort of experiences will often be uh, accredited as paranormal. Um, I, I, I can't match that one. I've never seen myself, which is probably a blessing. Um, but I, I did encounter one awkward situation one day where um, a lady approached me. I was helping a friend. She had a, a metaphysical shop uh, up on the Wirral. And a yep. lady came into the shop one day complaining vehemently that I had ignored her the day before. Uh, oh, 
Dear. Whilst in Liverpool, uh, and she said that she'd had a conversation with me for several minutes uh, about uh, a new shop, that a new metaphysical shop that I apparently was opening in the near future in Liverpool. Um, and then uh, we parted, and then a little while later she, she passed me again in the street, to which I completely ignored her, despite her chasing up after me in the street. And I said, well... Uh, first of all, I wasn't in Liverpool yesterday. I was here all day, uh, 10 miles away, across the other side of the River Mersey. Secondly, I know of no plan to set up uh, a, sh- a metaphysical shop in Liverpool. Um, and I have no idea who you are. I have never met you before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and she was most indignant and hurt by the whole thing, uh, to which I, I apologise for having ignored her, because it seemed a decent thing to do. It's bizarre, isn't it? Rod, have you ever had the experience like that? No. Uh, I actually had something a little bit different. Uh, I was in Macy's one time when I worked there, and a woman came up to me and slapped me across the face. And, <laughs> um, we got off lightly. <laughs> yeah, I guess you did. But then, then she started apologizing profusely, but she swore I was totally someone else until she hit me, and then my face changed into me. Um, but she oh. swears that I was this person who evidently she didn't like. Uh, and uh, Well, that yeah. must have made so, you feel much better. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not the first time I got slapped across the face. You know yeah, I mean? we're, we're running up to the to break in CJ's uh, imminent departure. But CJ, you're doing a talk, aren't you, on a subject that's cropped up here several times, um, this idea that poltergeists and ghosts are, are separate entities. Do you want to yeah. uh, throw in some details? Yeah, quickly. Basically, I won't bother to advertise the talk because I doubt many people could make it and it's in England. But, yeah, advertise um, it. Advertise it. Thousands will right. come. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's in England. It, Just come. come to England, come to Stonehenge, and I'll be there. No, seriously. Uh, basically, I think what happened was in the 19th century, the SPR became uh, fed up with the spiritualists who walked out in 1888. And in the big ensuing row, they rejected anything to do with survival, anything to do with mental mediumship. Uh, sorry, anything but mental mediumship, and certainly anything to do with physical phenomena. And as a result of that, poltergeists became really unfashionable. And Frank Podmore, who's an early member of the SPR, hated poltergeist cases or despised them. Though he did investigate a few, and he found them deeply unconvincing. And so physical phenomena was bracketed off and eventually given its own name, the poltergeist, whereas I actually think they're all part of the same thing, that hauntings are on a continuum. That's basically what I'm going to talk about. That's the short version. Cool, and it's something that Harry Price um, tried to get across, uh, but he was coming. He he called all his ghosts poltergeists, yes. with very few exceptions. So uh, yeah. yeah, so that's where and when. Um, it's in High Wycombe in England, somewhere in High Wycombe. Uh, you'll be able to find it on the web somewhere. The Bricklayers sure. Arms in oh, Downley, really? in the High Street in High Street Downley. Be right. there. Be Lovely there. people, because ignore me, the other people who are there are fabulous, so do come. No, go see CJ. He is a very, as you've heard for the last time. Anyways, I want to thank you very much for joining us, oh. and uh, now it's time for the break. Thank you, CJ. Take and, care. Uh, Good yeah. night. We'll have, have have we'll have to have you back again. Anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, International right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Planet Paranormal, Paranormal, and way beyond. Maybe the Kabbalah. 
Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be. With remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased, we'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tolkienet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parrax family. Greetings and felicitations. I am Ron Collette, New England's own Van Helsing. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the Blonde Bombshell. And we're here at the elegant Benefit Hall, the Downton Abbey of Menace. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you. To tune in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. On Toginet, ParaX, Ghost Channel, and Planet Paranormal. You can even listen live on your smartphone with your tune-in app. I'll catch the podcast on iTunes. And now, time for tea. And we're back in part two of Ghost Chronicles International. And if you've just tuned in, you've just missed the brilliant CJ Roma. Um who could only stay for 30 minutes because he was... I don't think he was at home. I think he was out somewhere. I'm sure that was... Anyway, we'll be getting him back in the near future. Um, so thanks, CJ. And if you if you want to find out what we were saying, then play back the podcast. Um, so now it's just me and Ron and the Kabbalah game and Call Me Eddie, the ghost gadget called Eddie. And so what is this ghost gadget called that's just Call Me Eddie? And Winston. Winston? Yeah, I have a, one of those Ghostbuster uh, action figures, and his head goes up and his mouth opens up. Woo! Oh, you mean... Oh. Uh, well, it's Derek Akora. No, 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 that's not Derek. That's, uh... <laughs> whatever. Got, got Where, is Derek? Derek Where is Derek? Where is Derek? Derek's uh, currently on tour. 
You promised um, me to bring him back. Yeah, and I will, but we're not going to tell you when, because I want to see you go all, all fanboy again, because uh, that was just so cool. Yeah, I don't know where my other one is. Anyway. But, yeah, so this this Call Me Eddie, do you want to, because uh, people, you know, you and I know what you're talking about, but nobody else has got a clue. It's a, it's a new uh, thingy, uh, device. Uh, I don't know what you call them. What do you call them? Device? Equi- thingy? Equipment? Equipment? Ghost tech? Ghost piece of crap? Busting? Piece of equipment? <laughs> now, wait a minute. Crap? <laughs> crap? That's what you call everything. Crap. Have you well, even... I, from, from, from memory, it's... Did you read uh, that testimonial? I did, actually... I did. But from memory, it has a it has an EMF meter, it has a geophone, um, it has something. There's a third one on it, isn't there? Yes. What's the third third one? Oh, thermometer. There's a thermometer, yeah. an EMF meter, and a geophone. Yep. And it has two blue LEDs, and it's got a toughened case, and it's on sale, reduced oh, from one twenty nine ninety nine. Three switches was reduced from what one twenty nine ninety nine to ninety nine ninety nine dollars. And runs off double A batteries. Which That's all we know about it, apart from this amazing testimonial. Oh yeah, but yeah, did have you, you got the that testimonial? Well, I was going to say, can you read it out on air now? Because it's oh yeah, a- absolutely. This is what sold me. I mean, get five stars. It says uh, this is uh, Gavin Kelly from Pacaduca. I guess that's a word. Pac Pacuca P A D U C H No C A H. Wow, whatever. Kentucky. Um, this this device is a hundred percent accurate. Hundred uh, percent. We used it on an episode last weekend. Oh, episode! He must be a TV producer, and it detected a presence. Ooh! Uh, not only did it detect it, it gave valid evidence of vibrations by using a geophone. Wow! The EMF portion was glow brighter and brighter when the entity got. When the energy got closer and closer, so it got brighter and brighter. Uh, as, a te- as for the temperature, uh, it keeps modifying on the fly, which is a good thing. Some temperature gauges get stuck on the temperature, uh, probably because it's the same temperature. Uh, but this one gives you an accurate temp- temperature change. Oh, wait a minute. The entity came forth. We heard footsteps the geophone went off, and at the same time, the EMF meter lit up bright as it could go, and the temperature dropped to 56 degrees. Truly amazing. Truly amazing. I applaud the creator of this device. So, so that's much so that you bored one. So, yeah, it's, that's what sold it I mean, me. yeah, it's a testimony like that sell it to the devil, wouldn't it? Yeah, I know. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, I mean... I mean, entities and presence and all that could detect it. So, I mean, I, I'm, oh, I, I can't wait to get my little hands on it. And it comes in a nice plastic case, too. A little rough. Toughened, toughened plastic case, if I remember yeah, the picture. Yeah, it's yeah. very nice, actually. Yeah, I like that part of it. You no, know, that, you know the unfortunate thing feature. is, you'll have, yeah, you'll you'll have paid ninety nine ninety nine for it, but it, we're coming up close to Black Friday, aren't we? So uh, it'll be fifty nine bucks by by the. But no, I don't think so. Back. This high-quality piece of equipment, I is it, it. How long has it been available? Because I noticed it was only on pre-order, so does that mean they've sold all of the initial batches, or or does that mean it's brand, brand new? Because it's not something I've ever heard of. It's fairly new. Yeah. Fairly new. 
and it's advertised in the advertisement for it, which is in Ghosts, Ghost Shop. Ghost uh, Stop. Stop. Um, com. It says, the picture of it, it says, just call me Eddie. Just call me Eddie. There you go. Now, whether that refers to the entity that, that they encountered in, the, in their episode or whether it refers to the device, which EDI, is it? Yep, EDI. And it, it, it just came out uh, October 5th, so I'm ah. one, of the, one of the first few people to get my little mitts on it. So. Yeah, well, one got, to Kent- one got out, of, out of the box and got his way to Kentucky first. Yeah, evidently. So I mean this 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 thing about ghost. So I can I can use this with my with my Kabbalah board. Uh, well, well, in, well, in conjunction, yeah. you know. In con- well, you, you, double double validation there of an. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm excited because because this coming weekend, I mean, it's very it's an equipment oriented week then for both of us because you've got the Kabbalah, uh, which has got presumably batteries in it, um, and you've got Eddie. Um, and I'm off to Ireland to do ghostology this weekend, which is the ghostology part de uh, ghostology oh, too, which is yeah. all equipment. Because, as you know, I'm a great exponent of and a great believer in leave the equipment in the box unless you've got something that you absolutely must measure and then measure it properly. But uh, so when 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 uh, you know we we do ghostology, and you've heard me saying it many many times that. Uh, it's about the five senses. It's about, you know, if the witness saw a ghost, they weren't looking for a ghost with an EMF meter. But we do use technology. Technology is an important part of validating some experiences. If the temperature changes uh, and drops to 56 degrees uh, as the entity approaches and people report the temperature drop, then we need to be able to document that. Uh, and so ghostology, too, uh, after hopefully they've learned not to use equipment or not to, re- uh, not to automatically reach for the toy box... Uh, you know, we do have to cover it, and so this is all about the the ghost gadgets this weekend. So lots and lots of ghost tech uh, for both of us, because equipment. I I know you've got you know you've got tons and tons of equipment. And while we were while I was over there uh, for the for the uh, for the two weeks, we did use some equipment during the investigations. We used the equipment uh, in and around Fort Constitution uh, up in Portsmouth, uh, New Hampshire, and of course. Uh, as part of the uh, overall experience at uh, the Andover Historic House, mm-hmm. um, but I, is it is it always equipment? I mean, you know my thoughts on it, but do you always reach for the toy box? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you start to sound like Jim and Clay there, uh, members of your team, your tech guys, but yeah. You know, because I know that you have a, you know, you, you have a, a, there's a sensible streak in there somewhere. Um, and I know that you've had experiences. Now, when, when you've had, you weren't using tech when you saw the apparition at, at the Fort uh, Constitution. That's correct. So why do you then go back with tech? What is the necessity to go back with tech and validate it? Because you have the same problem. It's only a eyewitness testimony you need to have a little bit more or if you can get a little bit more hey that's cool uh, I can see I can see and, the log- I, can, I can see the the slightly distorted logic in it uh, and and but, people and people will say okay if I said oh I saw a ghost and they said okay yeah he saw it. a ghost whatever but if you say oh I saw a ghost and my any meter went off then they'll <laughs> Much more, uh, t- uh, you know, it's much more does, validity. Well, 
Well, doesn't that just prove the gullibility of people that they're pr prepared to believe in $99 instruments over, uh, you know, an account of a person? I, yes, we know. You know, you have to acknowledge that people can and are frequently fooled or they will misinterpret a situation. Uh, but at the same time, uh, people see, see ghosts. Um, people have experiences of the paranormal. But even yourself, when you played with the broken radio That's and you right. got the recites, you had that experience and, uh, with equipment. I'm not, well, I'm, not dismissing, I, I'm not dismissing the experience, but what I'm saying is the automatic rush to deploy equipment is, is, is more likely to lead to or mislead the investigation. Yeah, because you you end up actually not looking around the location. You end up sitting there watching computer screens and flashing lights. I was talking to a a really lovely lady from uh, not very many miles away from her, and her paranormal group were interested in uh, one of the local uh, cases uh, close to me. And she was asking me, had I had any experiences there? What did I know about the location? Um, now, I. I I, I wasn't able to help her in that regard because, although I know the location well, I'd never had any personal experiences there. But it was interesting that they seemed to be a relatively new paranormal group, very eager to learn. But during the conversation, um, it was it was interesting, slightly slightly disconcerting to hear how much you know store that they put in equipment uh, uh, and described as we wait until the lights flash. Without, but I don't really know what the meter does now. I'm, oh, that's sad. You see, yeah, you see the problem. It, it's people will rush out and buy the equipment without really understanding what it is that they're measuring. Um, what yeah, but they feel more important that, that way. They well, they could always they could go on the ghost. Well, they or they could go on the ghostology course, uh, yeah. or buy the ghostology book when it comes out and have all there these questions go. answered for them. You see, right. it was just a segue into a shameless plug. Okay. Uh, for, for ghostology, but no, it isn't. It isn't because equipment is, you know, it, it is an integral part of uh, ghost investigation, and it's something that even even if the science is suspect, it doesn't matter about the science, really, does it? Because it, no, it uh, go, ghost hunters have got to be seen to be. You can't be just walking around with your hands in your pockets, looking and listening. That's just not very cool, um, and it's certainly very uncool on television. So, well, see, here's the thing. Uh, uh, Steve, it, it, you know, like the K2 meter. Um, yeah. You know what a quality piece of equipment that is. Not. Uh, but the, ca the case is wait, actually wait. pretty rugged. Yeah, but, but that being said, you know, even if you tell someone that, they say, that's okay because we don't know what spirit can do. And, you know, maybe a cheap piece of equipment or a crappy recorder uh, it's easier for them to work with. So that's their logic and using that type of equipment. Um, and, you know, it's hard to compete against that when we don't know what actually spirits can do ourselves. Well, it is hard to compete against it because, unfortunately, that person has ceased to use common sense um, because common sense will tell you that um, you, if they can't actually un understand what a ghost is or describe what a ghost is or the mechanisms by which ghosts manifest, then clearly they're, lo they're logically using some piece of equipment in order to measure that. It's like the, ghost, the guy we, t we were talking about last week with Marla, uh, Robert Bess, and his ghost trap. And the, you know, Poltergeist the whole trap. Poltergeist trap. Yeah. Well, the whole flaw in, in what he was saying is that you know he's trapped a poltergeist. 
But in order to trap a, uh, a poltergeist, you have to know what a poltergeist is, how to contain it, uh, what its energy is, how what 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 it um, consists of, and we don't have that information. So likewise, we don't know whether we, well, we don't, the most basic level we don't even know if, the, if ghosts exist. Um, and so, in order to be able to measure something, you've got to at least understand what it is that you're measuring. But people have got this belief engendered by television. You know, they've seen they've seen their, their favourite ghost hunters on television using K2s, and they've seen they've seen other groups on the internet be you know uh, talking about the fantastic results that they're getting with their just call me Eddie meters or their K2 meters or their Mel meters. And they believe that they have to go out and spend a lot of dollars on on the equipment. I mean, if you take that K2, the basic model, as was as it was built by Safe Range when they manufactured it to test for leaks with your microwave oven door, um, was about twenty dollars. Somebody rebadged it after it appeared on television, and you know, at their peak, they were going for a hundred dollars each. With you know, some people had modified them with a additional switches or uh, there was a version that came out with a torch attached to it somebody put a red LED on top of it there are other uh, things too yeah. <clears throat> exactly and people are being exploited it's like we had some very intriguing results like the ghost meter pro like the ghost meter pro we had some very intriguing results with the sh- with a shakak radio um, at full constitution in the lighthouse keeper's house which we spoke about last week uh, where there was a coast guard radio officer also intrigued by the way that the this apparent communication was coming through on a shaka. Um, but nonetheless, what people... You know, that shaka is, was... Uh, you could go into Radio Shack and buy it for 7 or $8 uh, and carry out the modification yourself in a matter of five minutes. And yet to buy the modified version of the radio online uh, from the ghost stores, complete with two little stickers on the front, uh, would cost you 50 60 70 or more dollars. So people are just being exploited um, by by the marketplace. You know, it's it, they're being convinced by the makers of this equipment. They're being convinced by YouTube videos. And if you can get one of your pieces of tech onto a television, if you can give it to your, you know, one of the like Zach or one of the other TV ghost hunters and get some product placement, you know, you can stick another zero on the end of that. Yeah, I think that's uh, interesting, but. I mean, you know, like you look at the Ghost Meter Pro. I mean, that originally started out as a cell sensor designed to measure uh, EMF from uh, cell phones because of the brain cancer scare, basically. And uh, it became so popular, they basically dumped it down. They took the probes away. They, they uh, you know, put it in a different colored case and uh, took the range away. You only have a single range, and they call it a Ghost Meter. And it sold very well for, uh, for that and then of course they came up with the ghost meter pro which is not only does the standard emf but also uh can tell you when ancient ghosts are around for Mm. and recent ghosts Mm. as well as can be used as a communication device uh basically a digital dowser so i mean I'd still like to know the science behind how they can tell it's an ancient ghost or a recent ghost. Well, That's the one well I, was going to say, I was going to say that since my return to the UK, I've finished uh, um, my teardown of the Ghost Meter Pro that's here. It's back together oh, and you. working. Now. It's back together okay. and working. But one thing, 
when when we looked at the I haven't got mine to handle unfortunately, but when we looked at the um, instructions, it talked about these ancient ghosts and recent ghosts, and it said about a time, didn't it? Wasn't it something like five to ten minutes and yeah. then oh, fifteen minutes and more? Yeah, that got me thinking. So I did a quick teardown of mine um, and had a and, and then actually set it up and, and started to just to watch what it was doing in a in a sterile environment. Actually, it was inside a Faraday cage at the time as well. Um, and do you know what? There's a timer chip in it. That's what it's referring to in time. It has um, there's there's some sort of timer chip. So it activates every five to fifteen minutes with the. Is it a timer on- chip, or, or is it some type of ancient it, ghost sensor? Or well, it's in a Faraday sensor. cage. So unless it was inside a, 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 a four millimeter lead Faraday cage that was double earthed, uh, double grounded. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, uh, so unless the 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 ancient and recent ghosts were inside the um, the cigar box size Faraday cage. Um, with the meter, then I rather suspect that what we're dealing with here is some sort of electronic timing device, a timer chip. Well, I mean, it's clearly evident that that uh, spirits have no mass, so therefore it could be clearly evident that they were inside the Faraday case. Which... Well, even a photon can't pass through lead. Um, so Interesting. So I think I think there's how do you been know it some... didn't go in there when you put the, the well it could it could easily have done because I, you know there's no Stuck way in there on you you know well you see there's no way of you know there's there's no is a vacuum Couldn't cleaner you like spray them or something as you came well, in like make, do you know make it actually to a, a nice well, uh, cloud of uh, something fluorescent so that we could detect them how about next time I'll give it a couple of I'll give it a couple of squirts of Van Helsing special blend oh you'll you'll kill it then drive the it idea. away. You'll drive it away. So the, we made the Faraday cage. Uh, it was actually for an earlier test on a K2 meter. Oh, and what it is, it, it's, a, it's, it's a box about the size of a shoe box or a large cigar box. It's made of uh, lead sheet that's been folded. So um, it's four millimeters. Then on top of that, it has a lid. Um, again, it's made of solid lead. So the two halves close over each other. Uh, and then it has a mica glass window into it, so you can actually see what's going on inside. And of course, mica is is also impenetrable to radiation. But not uh, protons. Uh, no, not protons, because you can see through it. A flaw. The half. It, it is imperfect, but it's not. It's a. It's a, Otherwise, we'd have to. Yeah, you see. It, it was just too small <laughs> to put a camera in. For, know, the first idea was to put a camera in it, but we did. We did settle for a radiating uh, mica mica shield glass. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so there um, yeah, there it is. There it is. So it is yeah. imperfect, but I nonetheless, know. it's imperfect. It's well, it's impenetrable to um, the much of the electromagnetic spectrum. So um, I mean, it's, we have well, you know, we've never got a radio that's been put inside it to activate. We've never got a cell phone inside it that activated. Um, We've used other uh, EMF detectors that are multispectral. Um, we place them inside it, and they've just flatlined the entire time. So it's it, it's pretty broad spectrum um, Faraday cage. It's better than most, and it's bloody heavy. Yeah, that would. So imagine. obviously, well, obviously, it would require a particular you know type of poltergeist in order to be able to lift the lid to to mm. climb in or out. It might yeah, make a better right. ghost trap. Well, maybe you should talk to uh, Mr. Bess and uh, they can incorporate that into his poltergeist cage. 
Well, again, his is imperfect because, you know, those big glass panels where we could see Casper floating around inside it. Well, maybe they're like mirrors in the inside, so they're like the devil's box. They're trapped in there and they can't get oh, out. Oh, like, like those one-way, two-way mirror things that they have in... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. See it. In CSI type programming, so you can yeah, exactly. You, you can see the ghost, but the ghost can't see out. Exactly. There, you, you see. In there. See, it was easy, wasn't it? So, what's you know what I'm doing this weekend? Because um, I'm off to Ireland again on Friday to spend some time at Ennis Corthy. Um, but what's your? So you're off to Pulpit Rock. Yep, and uh, before that, I'll be at the uh, Tuxbury Library giving a talk on our haunted planet, and I'm going to be talking about. Uh, ghost cases all over the world, not just uh, in England and the U.S., but everywhere, in every location and every type of environment. So I'm, I'm really excited. It's uh, going to be a fun, fun, fun. Are you going to are you going to do Antarctic ones? Oh yeah, Antarctic ones are in there definitely. Yeah. Uh, also Mount uh, Kilimanjaro and uh, underwater and everything. So it's going to be cool, 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 cool. I'm excited. Excellent. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, Steve, uh, we've already set the date for uh, Spirit Quest next year, right? Angels and Demons. We have. The date is the 20. No, remind me. 23rd, 24th, 22nd, 23rd. I believe somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. Around it's the 20. It's the first 20s in December, in September. Exactly. And, and the subject is angels and demons. But I don't think we should give them any more than that at this stage. No. Well, I mean, it's it's almost self-explanatory, really. But we want to hold back some surprises because I've got okay. a, I've already sketched out an idea for a really cool talk. I've actually uh, worked on some stuff myself, so I'm, yeah, I'm excited see. about that. And Better I've speak been... after the show to make sure we're not going to do the same thing. As and and then I, I have been, <laughs> I have been contacted by uh, a demonologist, a uh, famous mm-hmm. demonologist, who will be there. Uh, to represent the uh, devil section as well. So, but it's it's going to be cool. It, it, I'm really looking forward to it. And there you go. Yeah, we want to make sure that we don't double up though, because uh, I said there's, this year we both nearly did a talk on. Well, you did, and I backed off. But we were both going to do a talk on the Bell Witch. Yeah, I don't know how you get from ye old English witches to the Bell it was Witch. A word, it was witch. It was witch. You know, it, I, was, I, I could have done the witch, witches from Macbeth, but, you know, I went with the Bell Witch because it had an American topic. I mean, you about. Did you talk about the Pendleton witches? I did. Yeah? The, the last force. Witch? The, the last... No, I didn't do the... the because that's, oh! that, she's still... Oh! I, listen, do you know how many witches we've got over here? You only gave me 45 minutes to do the talk, and... Yeah, yeah you were ready to dip into my Bell Witch. Uh, well, most of the talk was actually because we were in Essex County. Um, I did uh, the Essex uh, witches. See, uh, just try, keep it topical. Yeah, yeah. Keep it. Oh, here we go. Apparently, our event uh, is September the 23rd to the 25th, 2016. Thanks, John. Oh. <laughs> There's two that bell minutes. again. Two, two more, more minutes. minutes. Well, what can we do in two minutes apart from I boiling can say. Egg? Ron, listen. Are you ready? One, two, two three, three, four. Should I? No. <laughs> now we're in trouble. For those who don't know, since you <laughs> brought it up, why don't you explain what you just did? I just rang the hell's bell to summon the devil because you're only supposed to ring it five times. It's a, it's a tradition that goes back to the Hellfire Club of Ireland. Um, and they had a bell which summoned the devil by ringing it five times in amongst a bit of other ritual, obviously. 
And uh, in a video I took with me to Spirit Quest, I only rang the bell four times on the video. And I keep but threatening today, to Today, for the first time, just, you heard uh, it five times right on so, air. If you're possessed, do come along to Spirit Quest 2016, where a very famous demonologist will be able to perform an exorcism. I'm sure we'll, we'll have an exorcist as well. So, I mean, we'll have everything, so don't worry about it. And, uh, you know, it'll be well, good. What happens if you ring the bell six times? Calls the devil back and... <laughs> Just confuses the hell out of the devil. They're, they're actually, they're, you know, talk about that This in... in uh, and uh, traditions and so forth. Um, I was doing a case up in New Hampshire, and when the family moved in, they found coins all over the windowsills in each of the windows, uh, and they were all face down. And it took me quite a lot of research, but I was able to find out why they were there. And the tradition is that they would take a coin and put it face down because when the devil sent their minions to the house, the minions would come to the window, they would see the coin with the face looking down, and they would look into the ground and get confused and then eventually don't enter the house. Cool. I just thought it was a case of face down, bottoms up, showing nope. your ass to the devil. Nope. Which is that another old tradition. Oh, there's the music, so we're not going to have any more traditions. So. Okay. You've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International with the famous Steve Parson. And the, and the even more famous, in Holland yeah, at least. Uh, anyways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, our guest today was Christian something or other. Yeah. Christian Jensen Roma. Check him out. CJ Roma. Okay. Excellent chap. Thoroughly right. nice bloke. Till next time. Good night. God bless. Good night. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.